We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. You're welcome to take your seat. So good evening, good afternoon, evening, what is it? Thanks guys, worship team, musicians, that was awesome. Good to see you back on the worship. It's awesome, not because it was good musicianship, although there was some good musicianship there. Uh, love the bass playing. <laughs> uh, but awesome worship, connecting with Jesus, connecting with the Spirit. And uh, it really doesn't get much better than that, eh? And it is about who he is. It really is a powerful testimony and just sharing your heart. It just, do we trust God for who he is or what he can give us? Are we in this relationship for what we can get out of it or what we can put into it? And the reality is, I'm at least in part, a follower of Jesus because of what I can get out of it. <laughs> yeah, I got life instead of death, blessing instead of cursing. And I've got more out of it than I could ever possibly put back in. People who talk about how much they sacrifice for Jesus have no idea how much they get out of the deal. And even when we sacrifice, when we sacrifice, how can you sacrifice time for Jesus? When you get eternity in return. Yeah? yeah? How can you sacrifice money for Jesus when he gives you blessings for eternity? How, how can I sacrifice anything for Jesus? Because I always get something better out of the deal. In the short term, it feels like sacrifice. But in the long term, we know that there's a reward. And it's rather like a marriage, isn't it? It's like, to be honest, guys, sometimes you tidy the house and help with the dishes just because you're a good person. And sometimes, husbands, you do it because you're hoping for a reward later, right? (laughs) Let's just be honest. (laughs) But you know how to win the heart of the one that you're in love with. And Jesus has won our hearts. And we've won his, but there's a, there's a sense in which we have to walk out our devotion. I want to talk tonight about being devoted. The word devotion comes up in love songs. I remember some years ago, one of the elders was having a birthday party. I think it was his 40th. And so he invited a bunch of us to go out to uh, the Barnyard Theater uh, for a production And it was a production of Greece. And by the end of the evening, most people had left because nobody realized how dodgy it actually was. (laughs) I think we forget, you know. Um, But in in Greece, there's that famous song, Hopelessly Devoted to You. And it's very cheesy and it's, you know, whatever. But in the song, it's like, even though my mind is telling me otherwise, I can't help it. I'm like, I'm 
I cannot control myself because of my devotion to you. And people do that for human beings. Yeah? People become devoted to people. People become devoted to work. People become devoted to sport. How much more so should we actually be devoted to Jesus? And devotion has different meanings. One of them, and we see it in the Old Testament, when God says to Israel, you know, go into this city and... uh, you know, one of the ways to motivate people in war used to be, if you come to war with us and we win, you can plunder the enemy and you'll get rich, right? That's a good way of motivating the troops. <laughs> right, we win, we get rich. If we lose, you're dead, so. <laughs> but God would sometimes say, when you take this city, I want you to do it for me, and I don't want you to take anything for yourselves I want you to devote it to destruction. And so there were times when that city was devoted to God. That was Jericho. And interestingly, Jericho was the first city that was taken in the promised land. It was the first fruits. The first of anything, generally, there's a principle of give God your first, give God your best. Yeah? Tithing is the same. And so he said... Give everything over to me. Completely destroy it up to me. And in that context, the, the, the word devotion meant this. Give something completely, totally, and irrevocably to God. And that's the sense in which we come to Jesus. And he says, will you come to me? Will your old life destroy your old life? Come to me completely, totally, and irrevocably. Come with an intention that you will never let go. Come with an intention that everything is burned up except that which belongs to me. And we can't be 95% saved. We can't be 51% saved. You know, some religions teach if you do more bad, more good than bad, you'll get to paradise. As long as you know you can just get the scales to balance in your favor. And Jesus says, no, God is so perfect. And sin is so horrendous to God that nothing tainted by sin can come into his presence. And we're all tainted by sin, so none of us can come into his presence. Only Jesus can come into his presence. And so he says, if you destroy yourself totally, if you die to self, and are resurrected in Christ, if you find yourself hidden in Christ, you can come into my presence, because what I see is not you, but Christ in you, and you hidden in Christ. And so we can't be 95% saved, because we can't be 95% covered in Christ. We'd be like kids playing hide-and-seek, hiding behind the curtains. And you see the, the shoes sticking out. Part of man's problem is ever since Adam and Eve where they uh, sewed together um, outfits out of fig leaves. They were trying to cover themselves and there's no way we can cover ourselves. Only Christ can cover us and Christ can only cover us if we're totally devoted to him, if we're completely sold out, if we're completely dead. We can't do it by installment. We can't do it bit by bit. 
We've got to be completely, totally, and irrevocably given over to Jesus. He who loves his life will lose it. But he who lays down his life will gain everlasting life. And so we, we, we give to him in devotion. We allow him to burn up our pride, our selfishness, our laziness, our, all of those things. And we say we want to be like Christ. And we know we're on a journey. So I look around and I look in a mirror and I don't know anybody yet who's perfectly like Jesus. But he has given us the right to be called Christ-like, even as he makes us like Christ. And so we've got to be devoted. We've got to be sold out. We've got to be dead to self. And that is what devotion is speaking about, is my priorities, my comfort, my convenience, my preferences are irrelevant from this day forward. Whatever decisions I make, and I've learned this the hard way, because for many years I didn't live like this, but I've learned where I live. The biggest consideration is not how good the neighborhood is, what the property prices are, whether it's a good investment. Those are all secondary considerations, but my primary consideration is how does this serve the kingdom of God? For me, and this is just for me, After we'd had two kids, my wife wanted a third. I said, I don't have faith for a third because I think it'll take us out of serving the king like he wants us to do. Now, if you've got six kids, that might be completely fine for you. I'm not not condemning anybody who's got more than... But for me, for me, the decision on how many kids to have was informed by what serves the purposes of the kingdom. What job I do. What friends I have. How, I t- how and when I take my holidays, what I study, what I watch, what I read has got to be informed by how does it serve the kingdom of God? Does that make me sound like a religious nut? To many it does. Like, that's a bit extreme, Mike. Or maybe that's okay for you, you're in full-time ministry. I've got news for you, you're all in full-time ministry. Different people pay your salaries. But whether Josh Jen pays my salary or some corporate entity, my provision is from the Lord. And I lived like this long before I was employed by Josh Jen. And I preach this and everybody goes, yes, of course. Because we understand the theory. But then the practice, life has a nasty habit of knocking us off kilter. So we call an important meeting at the same time as some important sports match for your kids. And you go, oh, well, you know, my kids. And I'm not saying, see, when I grew up, I was taught there was a hierarchy. God first, family second, church third. And then I thought, that's wrong. And I started saying, it's God first, church second, family third. And that's wrong. Because it's not about a list. 
It's about Jesus being the center and everything. Imagine he's the son and everything in, in life, your job, your family, your kids, your wife, your, your, your hobbies, all revolve around that. And sometimes for a season, just like with the planets, one orbits closer than another. And so it may be for a, for a time that you have to invest in your family rather than church meetings. Guess why Brett and Abby aren't here right now? Because they're putting kingdom first. And kingdom first for them this week and for the last few weeks has been investing family. They've been running hard and pouring so much into church. But that's kingdom and that's Jesus. Does that make sense? Sometimes putting kingdom first is going on holiday. Sometimes being, putting kingdom first is saying, I'm sorry, kids. I can't come to your sports day. Send me a video. There's 100 parents with video cameras. I saw a thing on Facebook. It said, your kids have got a 0.01% chance of becoming a springbok. They've got a 100% chance of standing before Jesus one day. What's your priority? This isn't, he would have, I'm not trying to condemn and say, ne, never go to your kids' sports days. I'm saying, train our children that they're not the center of the universe Jesus is. My kids are in an unfortunate position. My, my, my eldest daughter's birthday is the 5th of October. Guess what happens generally on the 5th of October every year? 412 conference. So she, her birthday is taken up by conference. (laughs) My younger daughter, her birthday is 24th of April. Guess where I am every Easter? Brazil. I've missed so many of their birthdays. But I want to teach them, and, and I don't want them to always sacrifice. So I say, listen, I have to do this. Please release me to go. This is what Jesus requires of me. Does it really matter if we shift your birthday a couple of days, and then we'll really celebrate, and I'll really spoil you? And it's fine, because I don't just say, so I, I lead them through it. But sometimes there's parents, I can't come, it's my, it's my daughter's birthday. How old's your daughter? One. Like, she's going to know it's her birthday. Make it any day of the year. (laughs) I'm not talking about neglecting family. If you're following Jesus properly, he will never let you neglect your family. And I have been guilty of neglecting my family at times, and Jesus has rebuked me. But I have to love Jesus more than I love my kids. And that's a valuable thing for them to know. And you know, when my daughter was young, I think she was about six, for my birthday she wrote me a song. And the song went something like this. I won't sing it to you, I'll spur you that. She said, she said, I love you, Dad, more than anything. I love you more than Floppy and Kipper, that's her dogs. I love you more than this. I love you more than, I love you more than, and then the last line, but not more than God. (sighs) Melted my heart. I didn't feel jealous. I wasn't miffed that I was the second favorite. 
I was excited that she'd understood a concept. I never want her loving me more than she loves Jesus. I always want to be number two in her life. She better not love anybody else more than me. (laughs) We didn't get into the thorny issue of where mum was on that list. but (laughs) But you understand what I'm saying? We can train our children to put kingdom first, or we can train our children that they're the center of the universe. But that's what devotion is. And then in Acts 2, 42 to 47, has anybody read that scripture before? It's the snapshot of the early church when it's healthy, but this is not a mission statement. This is not a vision statement. This is not something we put on our wall and say, let's have these goals. These aren't goals. These are fruit. This is fruit of a people who are devoted to Jesus. This is what it looks like. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We're not going to, that's all we're going to talk about tonight. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. As leaders, we can fall easily into the trap of trying to force people, manipulate people into doing what we want to do. We can address fruit and behavior and externals instead of first addressing the issue of a devoted heart and then out of that talking about what that looks like in practice. And so there is a place to say this is how we should live. That's the line that Paul wrote. How then shall we now live? In light of these great truths, in Ephesians, he spends half of the book of Ephesians talking about us being seated with Christ in heavenly places, how we are found in Christ, this beautiful theology of of our salvation by grace and the riches of heaven poured out on us and how we're not saved by works. It's beautiful. The theology of it is incredible. And then he says in the second half of the book, in light of this, this is what it looks like to live as a believer. And so Acts 2 tells us what it looks like when the church is devoted, but it starts with devotion. And this particular word for devotion, it has different nuances of meaning, but one of the meanings is to move forward, to endure or to persevere despite resistance or oppression. In other words, regardless of what came against them, they still did these things. No matter how they were persecuted, they did these things. No matter what they lost, they did these things. So just think for a minute. The early church. What did it mean to be devoted to Jesus? Well, sometimes it meant confiscation of property. Sometimes it meant imprisonment. Sometimes it meant torture. Sometimes it meant death. Sometimes it meant you couldn't go into the market and buy food, or, or, or if you were a market trader, you couldn't carry on your business because every marketplace had a guard which you had to sacrifice to in order to do business in the market. And you couldn't say, sorry, conscientious objection here. 
Because the rest of the trade has said, well, you will offend that God and will all suffer. So unless you sacrifice, you can't trade. Unless you sacrifice, unless you bow the knee, you can't do your job. Unless you bow the knee, we will reject you. Isn't that where we're going in the world at the moment with, with, with things? If you do not bow the knee to the culture of the world, we will ostracize you from polite society, from social media, from certain jobs, from, from certain areas of life. We will, we will expel you from those areas unless you bow the knee. Not only that, but just think for a minute. Most of, when we look at Acts 2, the church there was primarily, at least at first, made up of the people who were saved on the day of Pentecost. They were pretty much all Jews. And so you have a good Jewish guy. Let's say Carl's a good Jewish guy. And he's a good, respectable, middle-class guy with wife and kids. And he's, and he's, he's quite a good God-fearing Jew. That's why he's in Jerusalem for the Passover. And then at that moment, he meets Jesus. And he says, this is the Messiah. All of a sudden, his family think he's gone nuts. His family want nothing to do with him. Later, we see he, he would have been banned from the synagogue. You know, many theologians um, suggest that Paul was divorced the Apostle Paul? How many of you have heard that before? We don't know for sure. It's speculation, but there's a lot of evidence for it. And what they say is this. Paul was a good, zealous Pharisee. Zealous for the law, zealous for Israel, zealous for God. That's why he was going around killing Christians. And at the age that he was, it would have been very unusual for a good, zealous Pharisee to not be married. And he was very respectable. He had the Pharisee shawl with all the, all the tassels on it, and he, he had a name for himself. And then he met Jesus. Imagine, you come home to your wife and say, hey, you know that respectable job I've got, and the respect of the community? I'm throwing it all away. Because that dead guy appeared to me on the road to Damascus. That's how it would have sounded. Have you lost your mind? And some people suggest that Paul's wife deserted him, divorced him, on the account of him being a believer and she being an unbeliever. We don't know if that's true, but it's possible. And certainly it happened to many, because Paul writes about it in Corinthians. That if an unbelieving spouse deserts you on account of your faith, it, it must have been common enough that he had to write about that. And so coming to Jesus might have cost you your marriage, access to your kids, your job, the respect of the community. Coming to Jesus wasn't, it wasn't like 21st century America kind of mega church message. Come to Jesus and your life will be rosy. It was come to Jesus and it will cost you everything. And so when it says they were devoted, when they moved forward under pressure, the pressure they had was lose my family, lose my friends, lose my job, 
lose my property, lose my freedom, lose my life. And we say we're devoted to Jesus. So we're devoted until I'm a little bit tired. It's a bit cold. My kid's sports day. What resistance are we facing? Actually. Are we truly devoted? Will we persevere? Will we endure? Will we move forward despite resistance? Or will we let the first little hiccup go, oh, that's too much? How many of you got kids who are like that? Like, you ask them to do the dishes and they say, oh, no, I can't. It's just too much. You go for a hike and your little kids get, your little kids are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then five yards later, oh, I can't anymore. I can't, I'm just too tired. You have to carry me. Daddy, daddy. <laughs> and we like that, the first little hiccup, the first step tall, the first steep hill, the first sign of tiredness. Oh, I can't anymore. Jesus, take the wheel. Oh, man. I remember Bible college, a friend of mine, and he was like, ah, I'm praying that persecution comes because it's going to be so awesome because, you know, um, the gospel is spread through the blood of the martyrs. And I'm going, I, I could really do without persecution, to be honest. I, you know, I'm not exactly looking forward to being killed and tortured. And so, oh, yeah, it'd be awesome, you know. And then we had da- daily duties we had to perform. Um, and the one time it was, he and I were supposed to sweep the dining room floor each evening. And he get, oh, I'm, I'm so tired. I've had such a busy day. I can't. Man, you can't sweep a floor. And you go, bring up persecution. What hope do you have? Get real. Man. Is this making sense? We think we have such valid reasons not to endure and not to persevere and not to move forward. And then in light of, you got like, mm. have you seen that meme on Facebook? It's Mel Gibson and, and the guy from The Passion. And the guy who played Jesus has just got all this, he's got all his crucifixion. He, he looks like, you know, he's just battered and blood everywhere. And he's talking to Mel Gibson, obviously, between takes uh, in the photograph. And, and the meme is, explaining to Jesus why you couldn't go to church this morning or explaining to it's like, it's so hard. <laughs> Could you imagine Jesus? Because we're doing it for him who saved us. He was doing it for us and what were we? I can't, Dad, it's too hard. Man, it's a good job Jesus was tougher than most of us. But this endurance isn't always because we're the bravest or the strongest. It's sometimes just because we're the most loving. Because love is an incredible motivator. It's because we're devoted. I've often said this. Give me the bank account details, bank statements of a complete stranger, and I'll tell you what he loves in life. Don't have to meet him. Just show me his bank statements. I'll tell you pretty quickly what his priorities are. 
or be in a room with somebody. Find out what they're passionate about. Because they'll tell you. You know the worst person in the world? You know who the most annoying person in the world is? It's a vegan, cross-fitting, herbal life Jehovah's Witness. (laughs) The first rule of CrossFit. Tell everybody you do CrossFit. (laughs) Sorry, if there's any vegans, CrossFitters... Herbal life, as I'm, I'm a, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, come speak to me later. But you know what I'm saying? I would have added Man United fans, but they've gone very quiet in the last couple. Of... But you understand, you know what somebody's devoted to. Because you don't have to push them hard to talk about what they're devoted about. You know, we should be doing more evangelism. And I could get up and say, guys, we need to evangelize more. We need to evangelize more. I want you all to evangelize 20 people this week. There might be some validity in that. But instead of I say, let's stir up passion for Jesus. Because if you're truly passionate about Jesus, I can guarantee you'll talk about him every opportunity you get. Which is... So we've got to be devoted. And what's the obstacle? What would stop us? What are our excuses? You know, there was a book they turned into a movie. He's just not that into you. It was brilliant. Because all these women would ask for dating advice. I've been dating this guy for 15 years, and he said he's not ready for marriage. What's the problem? He's just not that into you. I've been dating this guy, and, you know, whenever I want to see him, he's busy at work or he's busy with his friends, but then occasionally he phones me. What's the problem? He's just not that into you. And basically, this guy's philosophy is, guys are brilliant at excuses for not doing something when something else is more important. And you know, when it comes to the things of Jesus and the things of church and the things of kingdom, when we say, Abba, 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 we may as well just say, I'm just not that into you. Are there genuine reasons? Yes. Genuine reasons are genuine reasons, but excuses are excuses. And Jesus told the parable of the sheep and the goats. And the sheep are the ones who went and served Jesus, and the goats are the ones who went but. Goats, but, yeah. So are we devoted? So the first question is, are you devoted? First to Jesus. And if you're genuinely devoted to Jesus, then you're devoted to the things of Jesus. You you love what he loves. You love the church. You love kingdom. You love his people. And so the early church devoted themselves. And I can preach on this but my preaching can't make you devoted. All it can do, and it's most powerful, if I'm the best preacher on the planet and I'm not, quite. (laughs) All I can do is maybe open your heart for you to have a look and say, am I devoted? So that you can make a choice. 
because nobody can compel you to be devoted. I can compel you to be obedient. If I put a gun to Carl's head and say, give me your wallet, he may give me his wallet. He may be obedient, but he's not devoted. He's not giving out of devotion. And so even attendance at meetings, I'm really not interested in where your bum is. I'm interested in where your heart is. So you can be here, your bum can be on a seat and your heart be somewhere else. That's not devotion. You can be somewhere else, racked with sickness, and say, I wish I was there. That's devotion. But generally, generally, absence speaks of a lack of devotion. Absence speaks of, I've got something more important to do. Having said that, I'm going to be absent for a week because I'm going to be up in the free state. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm going to the exotic locale of Bethlehem. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's my suffering for the gospel. But you understand what I'm saying? So it's not about rules. I can't compel you. And if somebody's missing, and I'm concerned in the last few weeks of so many people that should be here that aren't. And some have a genuine reason. And if they have a genuine reason, when we phone them and speak to them, we say, how can we help you overcome your difficulties and get you here? How can we help you? But for some, it's a lack of devotion. So when people say, well, numbers are down, it's winter. What? A bit of cold and a bit of rain is stopping you gathering with the saints. That's not devotion. Are we devoted? And then what does devotion look like? It looks like this. If you're devoted to Jesus, you're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Because we're part of an apostolic household. And we're devoted to apostles' teaching for a number of reasons. One for the sake of the kingdom and one for the sake of ourselves. So in Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, anybody read those scriptures at all? It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Okay? He gave gifts, certain people who are gifts to the church. And their job is this. One, to prepare God's people or equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So let's keep that up there because I want to go through the words. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These fivefold Ephesians four gifts were given to the church for your benefit. And the first reason why he gave them. The first benefit of them is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who was here last week to hear Luke preach? How many of you thought it was awesome? It was awesome. And when I was driving back, he said, how was my preach? He said, it was fantastic. He said, was there any problem with what I said? Any heresy? Any? I said, no. I said, you made a couple of statements which are true but unbalanced. And that's fine, because in the context of one preach, it was perfect. 
In the context of long-term, over six months, you have to bring balance. I'll tell you one of the areas where maybe there needs to be balance. And he said, Jesus came to reveal your worth. That you are just worth something because because you were created in God's image. And, you know, you're worth something. And there's truth in that. You were created in God's image. Sin distorted that image. But there is, you have intrinsic worth as a human being. That's why as believers, we need to respect every individual with dignity, with honor and respect, regardless of how we consider their lifestyle or their choices or their behavior. We, if somebody's a serial killer, I can still say, you have worth as an individual. I can respect you as an individual and try and reach you with the love of Jesus while still finding what you do abhorrent. Yeah? And so we do have worth. But the balance to that is, outside of Christ, we were objects of wrath. Fit only for hell. And Jesus didn't die because we were valuable. We're valuable because Jesus died for us. But there's two ways in which we have value or worth. And we need to understand, and we need, there's nuance, and, and we, we, we can't be too, you know, Andrew always talks about being Greek in your thinking, one and one plus two. Sometimes we've got to be a little bit more nuanced in our thinking. So I have worth because I'm a son of God. Absolutely. I can believe I'm, I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of acceptance just because of who I am. But there's another aspect to my worth, which is this. This microphone has a worth. It has a value. Why? Because it serves a purpose. If it could not serve the purpose for which it was made, what happens to its worth? So I want to be careful here. I'm not saying the more we do, the more we're worth. I'm not saying we work in order to get approval. We work because we've been approved. But think of it like this. With the parable of the talents, Jesus gave talents to the three servants. And to the last servant who was not faithful with what he'd been given, Jesus said, you wicked, lazy servant. Throw him out in the darkness. And so there's a sense in which I am worth something because of who I am. But because of who I am, I've been given a function, a purpose for which I was created. And I need to be faithful to fulfill the function and the purpose for which I was created. A cup with a hole in the bottom gets thrown in the bin. Now, sometimes we're a cup with a hole in the bottom and Jesus fixes us. Yeah? So hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. But there's a sense in which we have a responsibility to be faithful with this free gift of salvation. It's not that we, salvation was a free gift and then we perfect it through works. No, it's we were given it by grace without our own works, not because of what we deserved. But then in response, if he's worthy of it all, he's worthy of our obedience. He's worthy of us working out and doing that for which we were created. And not only because we answer to him for that, but because there's something in you that if you don't do what you were created for, it creates a hole and a discord in your life. And you wonder why you're dissatisfied and depressed and anxious. 
Does that make sense? So the apostles come in and they look at us and it may be one-on-one, it may be through a preach, it may be, but part of the job is of these fivefold gifts is to help equip you so that you are better able to do that which God has put you on this planet to do. You go, well, other people can do that. Other people can do it to a measure. But the best way to do it is through those five full ministries because that's the model that God gave. So equip you for the life that God's, and the ministry that God's called you to. And then as we all do the work of the ministry, the church is healthy. I think I was chatting to Steve Lover this week. And he said, you know, the way we do church is really inefficient. 45 congregations. He said, if we just had one big congregation, we could have really good preachers, really good worship leaders every week. You know, it's like, and it's true. But what room would there be for everybody to serve? There wouldn't. So this is inefficient, but it's got more life in it. So if we're not devoted to the apostles' teaching, we won't be properly equipped. And can I say, not just as sheep, as elders. Eldership teams that are not linked to an apostolic field go very strange very quickly. I've seen it too often. There's something missing. There's missing ingredients. So that's one reason why we should be devoted to the apostles' teaching. What's next? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Can we put that up again because it's good to see it? Uh, Ephesians 4, 12. Okay, so to prepare God's people or equip you for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity. The fivefold gifts create a deeper sense of unity. And unity in Scripture is not sat around a campfire singing, come by all. Or for those of you who've been around church long enough, Bind us together, Lord, bind. Who remembers that one? I was at Bible college, and every time something happened, and somebody repented, or somebody confessed, or somebody was leaving, or somebody somebody would start up with, bind us together, Lord, and everyone join hands. You don't know how lucky you are, guys. It's more than that. It is unity. It's a, it's a oneness in Christ. It's a, it's a love and a commitment and a devotion to one another. But unity in the kingdom is always going somewhere. It's not static. How can two walk together unless they're in agreement, Proverbs says. It's talking about, it's, it's talking about on this journey, we walk this journey together in unity. And unity, again, is not what we aim for and say, let's be united, guys. What can we all agree on? Because then you end up compromising to the lowest common denominator. True unity comes like the Israelites in the desert, and they say, there's the cloud. That's the Spirit of God. We're going in that direction. And isn't it interesting that even though they had the cloud, they still had Moses? Why did they have Moses? Because even though they could all see the cloud, they needed somebody to help them, encourage them, and correct them, and rebuke them to follow the cloud. And when the cloud was moving, and you know you just pitched your tent, and you were busy having supper, and the cloud starts moving, you go, 
oh, it's really inconvenient. I've got to put, I've got to eat now. I've got to feed the kids and bath them and put them to bed, you know. So, you know, it'd be really much better if, if I can move tomorrow. Today's a bit bad. And the cloud's moving. And Moses' job was, hey, the cloud's moving. We don't want to leave you behind. We will if you refuse to move, but come on. And, and part of what the apostles do is there is something in each of us that should recognize when the Spirit's moving. But the apostle brings us all in unity and all in the same direction. And if some of us have got, oh, that's a pretty cloud. I much prefer this cloud to that cloud. No, no, come. And it allows us to reach our destination. It's not just unity for the sake of we're a united church, but unity makes your journey easier. If you want to reach the right destination, be in unity with those that are going to the same destination. Have you ever been on a train? Uh, And you're going somewhere and you're looking around. And everybody looks like they're dressed for a completely different place. It's like, I'm not sure I'm I'm going in the right... Excuse me, is this the right train? If you want to get to your destination, get on the train with the people who are going to that destination. And part of the job of an apostle is help us to reach the destination in unity. That's why we need to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Because if you're not devoted to the apostles' teaching, you will start going off. And even 1% from, from true north. See how far you get before you can't see where the line is. Oh, it's only 1% off. And part of a, the gift of an apostle is to bring people back in line. If you want to reach your destination, be devoted to apostles' teaching. In the knowledge of the Son of God. And knowledge isn't just intellectual. Our 412 conference is not a bunch of clever preachers to give you more information. Knowledge within Hebrew mindset was more than just an intellectual understanding. That's why in the New King James Version, or in the King James Version of the Bible, when it talked about Adam and Eve, it was Adam knew Eve and she bore a son. I hope I don't have to explain further or draw diagrams. (laughs) Knowledge in Hebrew mindset meant something that drew you into an experience. And so the the scripture tells us that that the demons know that Jesus is Lord and they tremble. They have the knowledge. It doesn't save them. Demons know that Jesus died. They know he rose again. They know he's the son of God. They know he's coming back. They know he's going to judge all living things. And they tremble in fear. They know it to be true in a greater degree of reality probably than any of us. But it does not save them because it's mere knowledge. Knowledge here is talking about something that is imparted to us that deepens our relationship. And the true apostolic will do that. It will impart something in you. It's not just fancy preachers, but it will do something. It will impart something in you that connects you more fully in intimacy with Jesus. And isn't that something that we should all desire if we're devoted to him, is a greater intimacy? 
and to become mature, attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, growing up into him in the fullness of him and to become more like Jesus. So why do I, ha- why do I devote myself to the apostles' teaching? Because I want to be more like Jesus. I want to have greater intimacy with him. I want to be more united with him and with you. I want to be faithful to my calling. I want to do that for which I was put on earth. And I want to reach the right destination. Can you do that without apostles? Possibly. But why would you want to? (laughs) Why do you want to make life any harder than it is? And so we need to be people who recognize we're part of an apostolic household. 412 is an apostolic field. It's a bunch of churches that are co-laboring together to extend the kingdom of God. But 412 is not Andrew and Jonathan and Brad. It includes them, but it's not them. And 412 is not Josh Jen and Oxygen and Living Hope, although it includes them. You know what 412 is? It's you and you and you and me coming together and being co-laborers with Christ and with each other to extend the kingdom of God on earth. And that ultimately is our chief purpose, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I hope we understand the importance of not just being in an apostolic household, but being devoted in the household. A few years ago, my daughter, typical teenager, she got a little bit rebellious, told me she hated me, all of those things. She was part of my household, but for a while she wasn't a devoted part of the household. And she did not reap the blessing of the household. Not because I withheld it, but because she was incapable of receiving. By God's grace, she's back. She's still overseas. She went to the Isle of Man conference, had a whale of a time. But do you understand, you can be in the house and not devoted in the house. I want us all to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. So that's the theory. That's the, remember I said Ephesians, four chapters of theory, four chapters of practice. So what is the practice? How do we live out being devoted to apostles' teaching? One is, when these gifts come, make it a priority. So Milani's coming on Wednesday. Do you see that as another meeting? Or, wow, there's a prophet, and she's a recognized 412 prophet, 411 prophet. I need to get there because I'm devoted. I'm going to shift other things. What about the conference? I don't want to embarrass anybody this week, but we might do it in a future week. Have you registered for the conference? And if you haven't, do you have an excuse or do you have a genuine reason? I understand some people would give their left arm to be there and can't be there. If your heart's there, you'll, you'll receive a reward. But some of us are just, ah, you know, I want to save my leave for December. I want to, you know, it's a bit inconvenient. Oh, it's, it's a bit morrison. It's a bit far. Man. I understand for some of you, it could be financial. 
And I want to say this. If your heart is to be there, and the only thing stopping you from being there is finance, you come speak to us, we'll have a conversation. Okay? And we'll see how we can make it happen. You say, my boss won't give me leave. Well, maybe not. Have you prayed about it? Miracles happen? Or are you, are you hiding behind your boss or is it a genuine reason? And I want to ask this. If you're devoted to apostles' teaching, if somebody's devoted in my household, if I say, hey, guys, we're going to have a family dinner, I want everybody there. If one of my family genuinely can't be there, that's okay. But I would kind of expect them to phone me and say, hey, Dad, really want to be there, but I can't. So I'm not making this a law or a rule. But I'm saying if you're devoted, if your heart is there and you can't make it, just me, you're free, but me, I would phone and say, guys, I'd love to have been there. I just can't. Please, can I, can I get access to the recordings? How, how, can I, how can I be a part of it without being a part of it? And some of you go, I've been meaning to, I've been meaning to, I've been meaning to. When I was a teenager, my mother used to threaten, she said, if you die young, I'm going to have on your grave, gravestone, I was going to do it. <laughs> it, was my, it was my favorite line. <laughs> if you're devoted, if it's a priority, you do it. And I want to ask you, I want to ask every one of you, and I'm not, de- I'm not putting a gun to your head and demanding obedience. I'm asking you, If you will examine your heart, listen to the Lord, and on the basis of of everything you said amen to earlier, (laughs) are you living devoted to the apostles' teaching within this field? And what does that look like for you? And I dare suggest for most of you, what it should look like is making the conference a priority. Because it's not a conference where... It's clever preachers. It's about vision, impartation, direction, unity. And I'm being selfish, even though Brett's coming back soon and I'm not going to be leading this congregation. But as somebody who leads a congregation, a time like that moves everybody forward. If five of you are there, we won't move forward. If most of you are there, we will move forward. But if most of us are there and you're not, you'll wonder what happened. Yeah, But I want to say this, just finish with a bit of grace. When Moses chose 72 men to pray for them and and anoint them with a leadership gift, the Holy Spirit came upon them in power. And it says it came upon two men who weren't even chosen. They weren't even present. And the Spirit still came on them because God knows the heart. So I would say this, at this conference, God is going to move us forward. If you're not there, but your heart is, you can still receive an impartation from the Lord. But if you're there because you're not devoted, there is a danger that you may be left behind. You might still be able to catch up. We'll still love you. We're not going to reject you. We're not going to condemn you. But for your sake, be selfish and be devoted to the apostles' teaching. How do I do this? How do I register for the conference? 412 app on my phone. Follow the instructions. 412 website, log on. Follow the instructions. Very easy. Anything else, Jazz, on the... Yeah, but on the logistics of registering? 
Then the next thing is this. Not only am, am I devoted to going to the conference, I'm devoted to helping make it easier for others to go to the conference. And I want to open my heart and open my home to others. And so please register for hosting. And you don't need a big house. I, I, I go to Brazil and sometimes people live in tiny flats. They put me in their bed and they sleep on the floor. I've done the same. I've put people in my bed and slept on the couch. If it's a young person, you can host them. They can sleep on the couch. It's fine. We don't need luxury because it's not about luxury. If we wanted luxury, we'd have it somewhere where there's hotels and bed and breakfasts. When I go to Brazil, I don't want to stay in hotels. They often, often, they often offered to put me up in nice hotels. And I said, I don't want to stay in hotels. I want to stay with you because I want to get to know you. I want to develop a relationship. I, I, I want to become family so we can move together. And when you open up your home, as humble as it may be, you develop friendships and partnerships with people around the world, and you become richer, and they go away blessed. And again, you may have a home and no money. That's fine. Say, I can open up my home. I can't feed anybody. You may be working. You say, I can open my home. I won't be there most of the time. I can open my home. I have no car, whatever. Or you may say, I can afford to cook for people, but I've not got a place to put them. Let us know. But let's give of ourselves and devote ourselves. Paul says something beautiful to the one church. He says, you gave yourself first to the Lord and then to us. So I want to say, let's be a people who are devoted first to the Lord, to the apostles' teaching, and to one another. And the one another isn't just this one another, but the one another within the field. Does that make sense? So those of you who haven't registered, maybe you haven't even given it serious thought, Maybe you haven't even approached your boss for leave. I'm not going to ask you who you are, but I'm going to ask you to make a commitment that this week you will start putting plans in action and not put it off any further. Does that make sense? I'm saying this not to make me look good. Not, I'm doing it because we need that input for the reasons we mentioned earlier. Amen? Thanks, Mike. Just a quick testimony on, on the fruit of, of what Mike's speaking about. Uh, two years ago, before COVID actually hit, um, we had, uh, it was coming up to 412, and I felt the Lord, a uh, person had just left because we rent out a little flat on our property, and um, now I'm going to lose rewards for this, but it's worth telling because ins- hopefully it'll inspire you. But I, I felt the Lord say to us that um, I want you to not rent it for the next month because 412 is coming up, and I want you to rent it out. And so I had to take unpaid leave. We lost a month's rent. We got guys in. But I tell you that the, what, what happened over that time in my life, just by being part of that, and what I've seen and heard the stories of guys, you know, Mike and the guys in the early days of Josh Jen, and it was amazing. And I tell you, I definitely believe that over the two years of COVID, and it was just before that, actually, well, the year after when it all hit, that um, I believe, and this was not the reason I did it, I had no guarantee, but our company or my part of division that I oversee did better than the two years before. And I believe it was linked to the sacrifice that I laid down. And God is faithful, I tell you. But not only that, it wasn't about the finance, what God did in me over that time. And I'm, I'm, I'm not the same person I am today. So you might not have money. You might not have, we didn't have any of that. But I said, Lord, I want to be obedient. I want to serve your church. And uh, it's worth it, guys do it. Don't come t- chat to us as elders if you're struggling financially in any way, but 
but um, you, you'll never be the same because God will impact you. So we love you guys. Have a great week. Remember, Wednesday, 7 o'clock here. Um, you don't want to miss that. And enjoy coffee at the back. Don't run off. Have great conversations. Have a good week. Thanks, Mike. That was amazing.